Welcome to the Word of a King podcast. It's where culture clashes with our calling, where preaching is more important than popularity, where we rightly divide and properly apply the scriptures, where we put to rest common and controversial issues. We do this by looking to the Word of a King. The key to understand the Word of God is for the author to show you what the things are. If you understand that book, you get for the author. Then he opened their understanding. Amen, amen. Welcome back to another episode of the Word of a King. I am your host, Chad Reese, a pastor at Lighthouse Baptist Church, and with me is my co-host, Brother Brian Beam. Uh, Brother Brian, how are you doing this evening? I am great. It's good to be saved, and we have an amazing book. Can't wait to get in it. We do have an amazing book, and uh, Brother Brian's wasting no time. That's exactly what our <laughs> subject is. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no, you're good. <laughs> I was uh, you know, talking to some folks we know and getting some feedback and just about the podcast, and we've got some good feedback. We appreciate everyone listening and tuning in. We appreciate the comments that are left on Facebook and YouTube, and I probably should do a better job. You know how all these YouTube uh, uh, content creators say, you know, smash that like button now. So we don't really do that, brother, but maybe we should. Maybe we should. Yeah, we're not too good with the promotions. No, we're not. We're maybe not. maybe we will be over time. Yeah, I think, uh, and again, uh, I'm sure he won't mind me calling his name. Uh, I was asking Brother Andrew uh, Sluter, good friend, and uh, obviously he has produced lots of podcasts and different things. I just was asking him some feedback, and I think his words were, is at the beginning of the podcast, we need to be a little bit more folksy with people. I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? Like, I guess joking? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, you get it? I'm more folksy than you. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. No. <laughs> I'm like straightforward to the point. And... So I'm trying, but I'm trying. I'm trying to be folksy. I guess, I guess that's what it is. I guess this is folksy a little bit. A little bit, yes. So uh, that's what we're trying to Relate do. Relate to the people. Seem genuine. Yes. Well, I think we're genuine. I just don't have that charisma as Brother Andrew does in that, you know, that... And right. you, it's the accent. The accent helps. He's always smiling. He is. He is. And he's... Uh, um, the Baptist Baker, he's talking about making a show about cooking and, you know, folks like food. Sluter the Fooder or something like yeah, that. Yes, I, maybe that's the name. Maybe that's the he's name. mentioned that. It, that is something. Amen, amen. So, anyways, um, with that said, we do have uh, an exciting podcast. Uh, looking forward to get into it. And, uh, you know, our first three were good, brother. I, I really enjoyed them. They were more doctrinal, more of a heavy subject. And again, the whole point of the Word of a King podcast is to take common and controversial issues and put them to rest. And um, so I definitely enjoyed the first three podcasts, but they were a little bit more heavy. Um, but we just had a tremendous, tremendous amount of good feedback on episode four, and that was on how to study the Bible. And uh, brother, we started talking about that a little bit, and uh, we just wanted to kind of continue on maybe with that kind of vein and just have a good time. This episode and maybe the next one, we'll see what it turns into. Uh, but you already spilled the beans. We just want to talk about what an amazing book the Bible is. Hey man, what a subject. Psalm 138 2 comes to mind. What's that say, brother? You tell me. <laughs> Well, I know the second part. Thou, I will worship towards thy holy temple. Something like that. Sorry. <laughs> this is folksy. No. Folksy. Yeah. <laughs> Thou hast magnified, that's God, has magnified thy word above all thy name. Amen. Brother. So I don't know what better subject we could be doing than just exalting the word of God and, and God gets pleasure in that. And Isaiah 66 too. I'll, this man will I look. 
he that trembleth at my word and we tremble at it but we we rejoice in it and then it's just so amazing and we want you to fall in love with the word of god we we love the word of god we don't love it like we should we could love it more but it it is amazing we just want to tell the people all the goodies in there some of them that the lord's shown us absolutely brother and again uh kind of switching now just uh again just having a good time but seriously in all seriousness it's this book that changed my life and obviously i know fellow bible believers understand exactly what i'm saying i know it was salvation i know it was the day that i received the lord jesus christ as my savior and i I, i'm sealed with the holy spirit of promise praise the lord but on this side of eternity this is the only thing wholly intangible that i have is the word of god and this book has changed my life and and i promise you it will change yours too if you fall in love with this book and you study this book, you read this book and you commit this book to memory. So um, we're going to just kind of have a conversation about different things and about how this is an amazing book. And again, we're talking about the Bible. Um, we're talking about the King James okay, Bible. There you go. <laughs> to be very specific. And again, I know in the future we'll do a podcast on the new Bible versions and all that. But when we say the Bible, we mean the King James Bible. These are not only the Word of God, it's the very words of God, every single one of them. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about, brother. So why don't why don't I let you just kind of start off and you will know, just see and I'll stop you when I feel necessary and maybe I'll pick up. But maybe maybe just share with the viewers and listeners some amazing things about the Bible, brother. So whatever, whatever you have here. Hey, man, I guess we'll start with the Bible. Uh, the Bible has 66 books. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing when you look at um, all the different things that are connected with that. The table of showbread, for example, where bread, man shall live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Bread is likened to the word of God. And the table of showbread had 12 loaves on there. And two rows of six. Coincidence, of course, 66 books in the Bible. And just the whole phenomenon with with the books and the book book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. I'm sure the viewers are aware of that. If not, it's a total blessing. There's a break between Isaiah 39 and Isaiah 40. There's 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, and there's a split in Isaiah 39. from Isaiah 1 to 39, it's almost all, it's a lot of historical stuff, stuff about Hezekiah, stuff about the uh, kingdoms during that time. There's also a lot of prophecy in there, but it's about the nations of that time and the destruction of different nations in that. Sure. You get to chapter 40, who shows up? John the Baptist. You get to the 40th book, Matthew, who shows up? John the Baptist. Sure. And it's such a difference. Most Christian colleges, not even just the liberal ones, will say the Deutero-Isaiah theory or whatever right. they call it, the yeah. Q document or... They say there's such a contrast, it had to have two authors. Right. And we're not going to mention everything. Isaiah 66, it ends with verse 24, the most quoted verse by Jesus Christ, by the way. Mm. Where their worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Revelation, got lake of fire. Sure. And that thing will just line up all 66 books. And just that kind of phenomenon, the Bible is just the internal awesomeness and numerology and stuff with that is, is pretty neat. So with that said, Brother Brian, actually, uh, I, I do think this is worth taking a few minutes to explore a little bit further. And again, as you mentioned, what is so amazing is, and this helps, I think, a lot of young Christians who hear a lot of things in regards to, you know, what about the missing books? And what about this scroll and the Dead Sea Scrolls? And do we have the complete Word of God? And and basically, the phenomenon that you explained and what you, what you had just shared with the viewing and listening audiences is the book of Isaiah is a miniature Bible, and it's the very fingerprint, I would say, of God to tell you, you have every 
single book I want you to have. You have every word that I want you to have. Amen. And so let, let's digest. So you gave a lot of information really fast. And <laughs> praise the Lord, a lot of our no. audience knows all that. But I'm sure there's someone out there that's that just tried to absorb for the first time what you just said. And again, so uh, we'll, we'll take a couple of the examples a little bit slower and we'll we'll explain this, what, he, what he's talking about. And, and I do think it'll be beneficial for everyone, just as a good reminder. And so what you had said is that Isaiah has 66 chapters in it. And of course, the Bible has 66 books in it. So what we're saying is that this amazing fact is if you take any chapter in the book of Isaiah, it will correspond to the book in that order. Meaning Isaiah chapter one will match what? Genesis. Right, I know. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> He's thinking on me. He'll quote a whole bunch of things. And, What's the first book of the Bible? Uh, Genesis, yes, Genesis. And obviously, so Isaiah chapter two will match Exodus. And as they quickly spilled out there, Matthew is the 40th book in the Bible, and that would match Isaiah chapter 40. Amen. And you, you just follow this phenomenon all the way throughout Isaiah from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 66, and they will match the corresponding book. And, and again, that is just mind-boggling. If you really stop and grasp what we're talking about and how God put his stamp of approval and said, listen, don't worry about any of the missing books. And brother, the truth is Christians don't need to be searching for the missing books. They need to read the book they have. Amen, amen. And uh, so so let's give a few examples. I know you did, but um, you want to read Isaiah 1, 2? Sure. Yeah. Also, I have a thing in Matthew. I actually, in Life of Christ, Wednesday, I showed him this verse on the canon. I don't know if we want to get to that, but yeah. actually that's an amazing thing too. Sure. So once we do these three examples, then okay. we'll go to that, yeah. okay? So uh, again, we're just having an a informal, friendly conversation about an amazing book. So we, we have no real structure. We're going to bounce back and forth. And uh, we just hope you're as excited about the Bible as we are. And I'm going to have Brother Brian read some verses. Then obviously we'll see the clear connection. We'll just mention a few things and then we'll move on. But this really is something that I think is worth spending a few minutes on talking about and really absorbing. So what we have submitted unto you is Isaiah chapter 1 is going to match the book of Genesis somehow, some way. Now, before you read this, Brother Brian, I don't know if you were, you all probably weren't coming yet, but for 66 weeks, I printed in the bulletin at church, Isaiah 1, the oh, corresponding really? book. Isaiah 2, the corresponding book. Yeah, I wasn't book. here for that. Yeah, we did that for 66 weeks and showed how every chapter of Isaiah matched the corresponding book. Did it oh. for 66 weeks in the bulletin. So anyways, um, read Isaiah chapter one, verse two. And, and again, the listening and viewing audience, just think about the book of Genesis when he reads this verse here. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Boy, doesn't that sound like the story in Genesis? That sums up Genesis one through three. Right. Through six, seven, eight, nine, actually. <laughs> I mean, that's really the beginning of Genesis. That's the story. And if you were to, if like you said, if you were to write, what is a summary of Genesis chapter one through chapter eight or six, wherever you want to stop, that's it. Isaiah one, two. That's a concise summary. Yeah, that sums Genesis. it up. If you can take one verse to sum it up, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Now, Let's uh, let's go to you mentioned it. Let's go to Isaiah chapter forty. 
as Brother Brian mentioned, if you go to commentaries and you go to the educated, the professors, they, they come up with this big fancy theory, the Q document or the Deutero-Isaiah theory. And dual just obviously means two. And it's a theory that there had to be two authors because, as he mentioned, chapter 1 through 39 is so drastically different from 40 through 66. But what they miss mm. is the amazing truth Amen. that it's the beginning of the New Testament. Now, of course, we understand that the Testament's not affected to the death of the testator, but this is when the life of Jesus Christ shows up. So just read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And brother, you couldn't make this things up, these things up, but uh, that matches not only the 40th book, but Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. Matthew 3, 3 is a fulfillment, a match of Isaiah 43. Right. And it says, for this is he that spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And uh, so um, we'll probably talk about this a little bit later. And, but as King James Bible believers, and we, we believe every word's inspired, my brother, I also believe those numbers are inspired. And I believe they carry significant meaning. Uh, I think there is supernatural that God's hand was in it. Again, Isaiah 43 matches Matthew 3, 3. You just can't make these things up. And I know all about the, the chapters and numberings and verse marks, all that were added afterwards. But I still see God's hand in all of it. Amen. And uh, there's just so much truth there. Um, I don't have this one in my notes so much. I'm going to shoot from the hip just off the dark. Yeah. Isaiah 44 would be the book of Acts. Yes. <laughs> Look, let's see if we can find somewhere in Isaiah 44, see if you can glance through it, um, about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I should have... Yeah, I don't have the notes on Isaiah. I'm glad you have them. Yeah, this one I do Most of them. <laughs> this one I don't. So let's see if we can glance through quickly and find it. And uh, Isaiah 44, again, this is going to be about the book of Acts. 3, verse 3. There you go. Go ahead and read Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. There it is. There it is. And again, we see that in the book of Acts with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the gift, the promise from the Father. And again, this is just an amazing book. And again, so what we're saying is the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters in it. The Bible has 66 books in it. You can take any chapter from the book of Isaiah and it's going to match the corresponding book. Let's do one more. And I know you kind of already summarized this, but let's read it. Isaiah chapter 66. And you had a verse in there, but I, I have 20, verse 22 written down. Okay. So you want to read verse 22? Oh, there you go. I don't... That'll match it more than one way. Sure. That's a blessing. For as the new heavens and a new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. So obviously we have there the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. By the way, me and Brother Brian were discussing this <laughs> in uh, the unreleased files. Oh. Maybe one day we'll release the bloopers. Yeah. We're having a good laughing <laughs> conversation about this. Uh, but anyways, we won't get into that right now. The next but, two verses are Revelation, kind of like reverse order. Yeah, go ahead and read them. 23, it shall come to pass. So we got the new heavens, new earth. That would be Revelation 21. Right. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another. 
that definitely would be Millennium. I don't sure. think it would be New Heaven, New Earth, but I don't not much on it. Shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses yeah. of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched. And there's their millennium with an, an Edom and the lake of fire on sure. the earth and cast into hell, body and soul, and getting in all that stuff. Yeah. And obviously matches the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and new yeah. earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. So, Again, what what a what an amazing book that we have in this King James Bible. And I would just again simply encourage the listeners, the viewers, don't worry about missing books. Don't worry about what the professors say. If you have a King James Bible, you have the very words of God. And boy, this is just a phenomenal book. And the more you study this thing, the more it will blow you away. Amen. I would just mention that the so-called originals or the oldest and best manuscripts, Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, Epaphras manuscripts they find, and nobody disputes us on either side of the issue. They don't have chapter and verse markings. Right. And the unseals, which are is a fancy word for all capital letters, the oldest and best manuscripts that they find that they correct the King James and get rid of all the verses for, those are all all capital letters and they all run together. Right. There's no chapter and verse mark. There's no division even between the books. It's just a, this huge run-on sentence from Genesis to Revelation. And... None of those have 66 books. I don't think they've ever found any manuscripts that have all 66 books. And a lot of those manuscripts, Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, have these missing books in them. Mm -hmm. Shepherd of Hermes, the Gospel of sure. Thomas, Epistle sure. of Barnabas. So this phenomenon, not in the originals, not in the oldest and best Greek manuscripts, King James only isn't people. Only yeah, in the King, yeah. King James. And the new Bibles, they take verses out so this stuff's not going to fit anyway. Right. So. And, and again, what you had just mentioned is not a not a phenomenon that we're saying that us King James Bible believers have created. This is an internal proof Amen. that God has left in his Bible to show you, don't worry about all that stuff. And thank God that you can just go to the word of God, read it, believe it, and behold wondrous things. And praise the Lord for that. The Lord is uh, good. He's left us a good book and we just need to study it out. And uh, we hope again, you, you fall in love with it. Well, why don't you give us something else? What, what, what else do you have on there? To go along yeah, with so that, that, on the canon, and I was, canon, some Latin word that just means, I think it means rule. It, it just means what books are supposed to be in your Bible and which aren't. Of course, most of you probably know the Catholic Bible has a apocrypha, they call it. That's just extra books in the Old Testament, Bell and the Dragon, Book of Judith, or whatever it's called, First and Second Maccabees. They have extra books. And the Catholic will say that, well, your Bible's missing books. And we would say they're adding books. Who's right? I'm glad you asked. I will tell you. Jesus Christ talking here, that upon you, Matthew, oh, sorry, Matthew 23, 35, upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel, that's in Genesis, mm -hmm. unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, mm. and that's in 2 Chronicles 24, 21. So all the blood that was shed in the in the in the Bible times right. during Jesus, up to his point, whom he slew between the temple and the altar, and what's interesting about that is our Bible ends in Malachi, right? Thirty nine books. The Jewish Bible has same thirty nine books, but I think it's twenty two books because they put all like First and Second Kings is just Kings, First and Second Chronicles, or they might even put them in one book. Right. They put a lot of the minor prophets in one book, sure. but they have the same thirty nine books. But do you know what in their Bible what the last book is? Yes, it ends in Chronicles. 
Chronicles, which would be ours. Which is where the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachias, was shed. That, that's amazing. And Romans 3 says the oracles of God were committed to whom? The Jews. The Jews, not the Catholic right. Church. Right. So there's, <laughs> there's a couple amazing things about that. And this is why these, these conversations are just so amazing. Again, just... We didn't sit down and go over every detail. We had a basic discussion. Some things weren't go over. Yeah. But sometimes the best Bible discussions are just what God reveals from one brother to the next. And there's a couple of things I want to point out about that. First of all, God in his just way that is way above our ways, his thoughts that are above our thoughts, he has that Jew's Bible knowing that they would reject him. And in Second Chronicles, in Second Chronicles ends, how, Brother Ryan? Here's the last thing a Jew has read for 2,600 years. Yeah. Maybe after World War One, World War Two, Hitler almost wipes them out, and then Jew wants to go to his Bible, or even today, or even in, I don't know, the tribulation. The Lord, his God, be with him, and let him go up. Mm. So the Jew's Bible, again, Old Testament, they obviously reject the New Testament. They have the exact same books we do, just in different order, different numbered, like we, we Brother Brian's already explained. But every time that Jew gets to the end of his Bible, he's told to go back to Jerusalem, go back to Jerusalem, go back to Jerusalem. And build, which yeah. they do in Ezra and Nehemiah right. and after the captivity and that. And that is all going to fulfill prophecy for the end times. And of course, ours Old Testament ends in the book of Malachi, which is all about the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And, and again, God's amazing. He's God. <laughs> he, he knows those Jews need to go back and they need to rebuild. He needs to instruct us, church, that he's coming. And of course, God has broke off that natural branch of the Jew. He's grafting us that wild branch of the Gentile to provoke them to jealousy. But God's not done with those Jews. God's got a plan for them. They're going to go back to Jerusalem one day. Uh, their eyes will be open one day. All of Israel shall be saved. But God has the Jews read every year. As they read through their Bible, not saying every Jew reads through the Bible, but, you know, as they get to the end of the Bible, to go back to Jerusalem. is that amazing? Amen. Let me share one other <laughs> thing to you. Now, some folks might think this is a stretch. Go back to that passage that you were just in. See, I don't even know what he has. I'm no, you curious. Don't. This is, this is uh, no, no, where you were just at about uh, Abel think, and Zechariah. Oh, yep, okay. yep. I want to I see if you've ever heard this before, Brother Brian. I think it's profound, right? So we're... We're talking about the canon. We're talking about the word of God. We're talking about the Bible. And what is the bloodshed from who to who? Who are the two names again? Abel. Oh, I see where you're going. Yeah. I think. Wow. Abel and Zacharias. From A yeah. to Z. I never saw that. Genuine reaction. Word of a king today. The word of a king podcast. <laughs> English. From A to Z. Ah. English language. Test of. Not test Aleph. To, I don't even remember the right. last word. <laughs> Omega? Well, that's Greek. Uh, yeah. The Hebrew. Oh, Hebrew. I have no idea. What I don't know. We don't. Yeah. So I can't remember what Hebrew was. We're Greek scholars, but not Hebrew scholars. That's a Greek scholar. No, no, no. None of us. Neither one of us are Greek scholars. Anyways, uh, <laughs> again, from A to Z. A to Z. Testifies of the seen English that. language. You know what else is amazing? What's that? The layout of the books. Yes. The yes. King James translators were amillennial babies, babies sprinkling Episcopalians. Yes. But they laid out the books in different order, as we've already shown, Correct. from what the Jewish Bible is laid out, or from what any Greek manuscript you can find, or if, the, if you unearth the originals, it would not match. This is King James only. is isn't one we're about to show you. Second Chronicles. Mm -hmm. You go into captivity, let them go up. Ezra, they get back in the land. Right. Nehemiah, they rebuild, just like they did in 1948. 
They became a nation. They go back to the land. They rebuild. They got the Arabs giving them problem. Right. Gash, gash from the Arabian or whatever his sure. thing is. You got the governments against them. Um, what's the next one? Esther, Gentile, and a Jew get married. Jewish bride or Gentile sure. bride and all that get married. Job, 42 months. Tribulation. 42 months tribulation. Yeah. Psalm 2, this day have I begotten thee. I have said, I've set my king upon the Mount of Zion, his holy hill, yeah. and kiss the sun lest he be Second angry. Coming. Yeah, Psalm 2, you got the second coming of Jesus Christ and the millennium starting. God shall laugh at them, he shall have them in derision. Thou art my son this day, have I anointed thee and set upon my holy hill of Zion, and he's going to reign, the king, all that good stuff. The King James order of books, which doesn't match anything else, is premillennial setup, and none of the translators are premillennial. Mm. That's what people say, oh, the translators never claim inspiration. The translators, that's an that. We don't care about the translators. Right, right. We care about their work and what they produce, and God worked on them in spite of their problems, just like he did through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, sure. Samuel. Like Despite their problems, they despite produced the perfect problems, book. Right? Despite our problems, God can work through us. So I, I think God can overcome the Episcopalian baby sprinklers or whatever they supposedly were. <laughs> yeah, and again, so I, I, I think we, we won't rehearse everything you just said, but someone go back and rewind it and watch and listen to everything he just said. And it's amazing truth if you look at the Sorry, pre-millennial. So no, it's okay. <laughs> the pre-millennial get excited, order of the books and those truths and and uh, brother, that's how we know our doctrines solid, right? Because Amen. the book order. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. That's it. <laughs> that's that's just, all we got. That, that's what we based on. <laughs> no, not at all. But um, so it's just again this amazing book. You look at not only how many books there are. We look at the books order. You get fabulous truths like A to Z. In the profound truth That's of the promise in the English language. So, yeah. um, but because uh, in Greek it's Alpha Omega, right? Which right. Omega is just a long O sound. Sure. So that wouldn't make a Z sound. No. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> you know, uh, again, thinking back to PBI, brother, I you got it. You just a sharp mind. You know, one year Hebrew, and I struggled through that. I don't even think I learned anything other than enough to barely pass the class. Three years <laughs> of Greek and. Man, I've dumped most of that stuff. Praise the Lord that you can still recall a lot of it. That's a blessing. A little. A little? Yeah. It's a blessing, though. So, amen. No, and again, we as Bible believers, um, we I think Dr. Orkman was right. The reason he taught it was to defend the King James Bible. We, know, we don't use it to enhance or enlighten the King James Bible. We have all the light we need in the Word of God. Amen. Um, More than we can handle. I remember my my <laughs> thesis, my third, my you know final was critiquing Kenneth Weiss' book. On the untranslatable riches of the Greek. Now, riches. Yeah. Well, think about it, brother. His whole premise, his whole thesis of the book is that the King James translators were not able to truly translate the richness of the Greek. So you know what he did in his book? He translated the richness of the Greek. Nice of him. Yeah, it was nice of him. <laughs> they weren't able to. Yeah. But he can so wow. anyways but I'm sure he's a great man of God yeah well <laughs> I don't know much about his testimony at all I do know this just in that short pamphlet just after three years of Greek I could point out his hypocrisy his oh yeah his lies and that weren't true and but anyways uh thank God you have a King James Bible so praise the Lord for that um let's see Let, why don't we uh transition a little bit we'll come back I know and again we're gonna probably do two maybe three podcast just on this amazing bible that we have in the king james bible um unless you got something else you want to share that i got some rapid fire little yeah let's let's do let's go king over. james um coincidences sure let's let's go over those for a few one minutes. of them do you know what the longest chapter in the bible is 
Sorry, I shouldn't ask when you're doing. No, that's okay. Is it Psalms 119? Right. Yeah. Do you know how many verses are in it? Uh, I should, but I don't. 176. Yeah, 76. Which is 16 times 11. Amen. Of course, Psalm 119 is on the Word of God. Um, Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7, just mm-hmm. amazing thing. Purified seven times the word of the Lord. English is the seventh major language yep. that the Bible was translated into. And the King James was the seventh major English translation. Of course, you know about the Laodicea of Philadelphia. Kept yep. my, just different phenomena like that that's just beyond coincidence, beyond comprehension. It's obviously of God just... He's showing you, show me where the King James is the Word of God. Well, first of all, I'll show you way faster than you can show me where what they believe is the Word sure, of God. Sure. The invisible originals that disappeared. Right. We know from the word scripture that it doesn't mean originals. Yeah. And people had it in all over the Bible. Yeah. Dr. Vance um, has a good article on that about purified seven times. And he has what I believe is the correct lineage or, you know, tracing those English Bibles through. And he's got a good article on that. I encourage anyone to... Um, go out and read that. But yeah, I mean, again, like you said, this is eternal proofs. Before you hit some other just uh, rapid fire truths. Yeah, there's just you know, one or two that, more. No, that. you're good. But I was just going to say, I think it's worth commenting that that just wonderful promise there in Psalm chapter 12, uh, 6 and 7. Um, it says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. And, and in the context, there's the words of God. Right. The new versions change that to say, Thou shalt keep us. And it removes the promise of preservation. From the word of God. No, thank God the Lord's going to keep them, the words of God. And that's a huge difference um, comparing the new versions and how they attack that they, promise. Yeah, they attack Matthew 4 4. They take out every word of God. First Peter desired the sincere milk of, of the word. Excuse me. They take out of the word. They right. they had Second Timothy two fifteen, the greatest verse on studying. Sure. They take that out. The, the, and we're going to do a whole horror. podcast on the new versions. And, you know, Brother Brian, obviously, you, you know, you big crucial part at Lighthouse teaching now and great blessing. And you know, um, what I'm mentioned that almost every week, unless I put an article in there by thoughts by brother Brian beam <laughs> in the bulletin, we have a little spot in there where we have a, just a little simple article, a little meme, I guess you could call it, uh, by that book. And I forget the gentleman's author, but the chick publication puts it out and every week just showing changes in the new versions. And, and again, if you're watching or you're listening and you're not, of the King James persuasion, or maybe someone's shared this message with you, study the matter out. We're, we're, we The reason we tell you this is God promised to preserve his word. Listen, I'm trusting the Lord Jesus Christ with my soul. Surely I can trust him that he was able to preserve a book. And if I can't trust him to preserve a book, how do I know anything is right? And uh, that, it, it kind of gets into a conversation that I'd like to have one day when we do the new versions, but also on the Bible itself about what is the promise? Is the promise to the originals? Is the promise that God inspired scripture? Obviously, we know the answer. Right. So the question is, do we have scripture? Well, Timothy had scripture. The Ethiopian eunuch had scripture. He did too. The Lord Jesus Christ had scripture. He had scripture. Do you think all three of them had the originals? Well, they couldn't have because <laughs> Paul said in Acts 17, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they searched the scriptures daily. So the originals had to be there if the word scripture is the originals. And obviously, totally being sarcastic, we know it's not. But all scripture is what? Given by inspiration. All, of God. right? So that's say, oh, yeah. So that means the scriptures that the Bereans had, that means the scripture that Jesus had, that means the scripture that... 
The Ethiopian eunuch cat? How in the world would he get original? I looked that up, by the way. Ethiopia, well, it's a country, but I don't know what city he's coming from, is, I think it said 1,100 miles to wow. Jerusalem. Wow. So those originals, they're just flying around. <laughs> Timothy's father right. was a Greek. He had to get circumcised in Acts 16 because his father was a Greek. And the Bereans, that's just a Gentile Greek city, Berea. Right. So I don't, these originals are going around Africa. They're going to Asia. They're going to Europe. They're, man, those originals are all over. You know, Brother Brian, again, and I would love to dive more into this, but we, we want to kind of move on with the amazing book that we have and some truths. But here's the thing. You have to go to Bible college to be taught that, meaning that that's referring to the originals, because you do not get that from reading the Bible. Not at all. It's like evolution. You, yeah. They can find some tribe that doesn't even, never seen a wheel before, and they all believe in God. It's in, it's in mankind, no matter, no matter what the situation is, that they believe in God, you have to be educated out of God. That's right. Some old granny 200 years ago in the hills of West Virginia reads her Bible, and she believes it's perfect, and it's the Word of God. She doesn't say, well, maybe that's not in the original. Yeah. She knows. You have to be taught by the devil. I mean, a Bible professor yeah, at a liberal man. Christian school, not even liberal, even the right. so-called conservative ones. Sure. They're Greek professors. They'll correct it left and right, even the some of the ones that claim to be King James. So. I know people, they go to these places, or their kids go there, and they're taught it has mistakes, and that the Greek... The Greek is the authority, the in, invisible imaginary Greek that right. disagrees with itself thousands of times. But yeah, yeah. and the Greek, <laughs> what does that even mean? The Greek. Yeah, I mean the Greek. I mean, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, we have whatever they say. I mean, that's exactly. what it means. You know. So, <laughs> anyways, but uh, let, let's let's get back to the subject at hand. And again, we just encourage you to study the matter out for yourself. This I know. This brother Brian knows. We have the scripture. We have the very words of God. And this is an amazing book. Let's rapid fire some other things. What else you got there? Ecclesiastes 8.4. I don't know if you've ever heard this verse. It says, where the word of a king is, yeah. <laughs> there is power, King James. And then just one more. Nine is the number of fruit. Mm. Sarah was 90. Yes. When she was told she'd have Isaac. Abraham was 99 when he was told that. Galatians, yeah. where you find the fruit of the Spirit has nine letters. It's also the ninth book. Yeah. There are nine fruit of the Spirit in 522. 522 is nine. Mm. 1611, 1611 is nine. And it's produced a whole lot of fruit. I believe it has. Yeah. And I believe by your fruit you shall know them. And the fruit of the Laodicean Bibles is, isn't too good, I don't think. Mm. Holy Bible, nine letters. King James, nine letters. Mm. So... That would be a coincidence if you don't believe that phenomenon. Oh, one more. Psalm 16, which happens to have 11 verses. Yes. The first two words of Psalm 16, preserve me. Yes. The last two words, for evermore. Mm. Preserve me forevermore, 1611. I wow. think God has showed us pretty plainly, besides the fruit, besides all the other reasons we know, God has shown us in the Bible. It, it's hidden a little bit. Right, you got right. to dig deep, yeah. but that's how God works. He does. He does. It's in there. We know what book it is. Yeah. The right it, one. It is the right one. And again, this is fact. This is not subjective. This is not because I'm a King James Bible believing preacher. This is fact. The greatest fruit that's ever came throughout the world was produced by the King James Bible. By far. The Great Awakenings, the King James Bible. The the forming and all the movements from this country, the sending out of the missionaries, the all of the great things when you think of Christianity come under the umbrella of the King James Bible. Because nine is the number of fruit and all those other wonderful facts Brother Brian just shared with you about the number nine. And again, I've said this a few times, that phenomenon and just that uh, 
Uh, I say that because it's beyond human ability to orchestrate these things. But Psalms 1611. Hmm. And... Uh, just again, just wonderful truth there. So we, we again, we hope you fall in love with this book like we do. It's amazing. I want to I want to try to and probably this is all we'll get in this podcast. And we're going to pick up definitely again in the next one. I want to try to leave you with something. It's going to take us a few minutes to go through. Um, do you mind getting first Corinthians chapter two? And I just want to deal with some of this ties into our last podcast on how to study the Bible. But I, I want to share it with us with you this idea, this thought of the importance of words. And obviously this is a biblical principle on how you study the Bible. Um, we talked a little bit about this before the podcast too, and I won't go into all this. But to me, this is an amazing, amazing truth that we're about to read. And then I want to kind of go a little bit further and develop this a moment. But will you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 there? But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, again, before we go on, isn't it just an amazing thing, Brother Brian, to consider, to imagine there's a place that I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither have entered the heart of man. And he goes on to say the things that which God hath prepared for them that love him. I mean, that in itself... It's just an amazing truth to sit there and think, man, there's this place that no one's ever seen, that they've never heard the sounds of it. It hasn't even entered in their heart. I mean, that's just an amazing truth. That We could stop right there and we could preach a whole message on how amazing it's going to be. What do you say? That's an amazing truth. Amen. It's <laughs> not true. I'm not trying to trick me. No, that's not trick. I'm saying, isn't that an amazing truth? It's just an amazing thought. But, yes. and this is why Brother Brian's being a little hesitant, yeah. <laughs> because I've emphasized this a couple times at church and institute. What's even more amazing is what the rest of the verse says. So, and what the truth is, he's going to read here, God is going to reveal those things to us. And again, when, I, when that clicked for me, it's like, man, what a book, what an amazing book. Considering a place that a man's never seen, and not just a place, the things got prepared for us. Never seen it, never heard it, never entered our heart. Go ahead and read verses 10 through 13. But God hath revealed them unto us. Hold on. Have you revealed what? Those things in verse 9, right? But God hath revealed them unto us. All right, keep going. Sorry. By his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. How are we going to know these things, Brother Brian? Verse 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth comparing mm. spiritual things with spiritual. There it is. There's an amazing truth that I want everyone to grasp. God is going to reveal us, listen, some deep things. God's going to reveal us some things that an eye hath not seen, that an ear hath not heard. He's going to reveal us some things that have not entered to the heart of man, which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us. And it tells you how. 
It says, by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Well, we know in John chapter 6, verse 63, it says, it is the spirit that quickened, Jesus speaking, the flesh profiteth nothing, but the words I speak unto you, the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So if we're going to follow this principle, and we demonstrated this a little bit when we talked about how to study the Bible, to understand these deep things, to understand the things that the natural eyes never seen, that the natural eyes never heard, that's never entered into the natural heart, then we accomplish that by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. What that means is comparing the Word of God with the Word of God, comparing the phrases of the Word of God with the phrases of the Word of God. Amen. And you will come up, which mm. is absolutely amazing truth that God wants to reveal to you. I was telling you a little bit about this, but at the King James Bible Conference there in Heartland, Michigan, and Pastor Gunther at Victory Baptist Church, Kyle Stevens did a fantastic, just a fabulous job. And he preached a whole message on this, this very principle. And he, his introduction was all about our thoughts and our mind and everything. But then he took the phrase, I thought, and he showed that phrase in the Bible, I thought. First time is in Genesis with Abraham when he told his wife to lie. And he says, I thought something like there was no fear of God in this place. He got okay. him in trouble because he thought. Hmm. And he used several different illustrations of I thought, that phrase. And he did what the Bible says, compared spiritual things with spiritual, and God opened up the book to Brother Kyle Stevens, and then he opened the book to us. Amen. And so I want I want to do that probably just in closing, about another 15, 20 minutes, we'll, we'll be done with this podcast with the phrase or the words, knowledge of good and evil. Mm. And I just think this will open up just some wonderful truths that I hope to get through in this podcast. And I hope you see what amazing book this is. So let's let's read them. Um, we'll go through them kind of quickly, but Genesis chapter two, it's the first time. Brother Brian, I'll just have you kind of read these and uh, I'll kind of talk about them and feel free to jump in whenever you want. But uh, first time it shows up, Genesis two, verse nine. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right, so this is the first time. This is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's the first time it shows up in your Bible. And uh, so we learn a little bit about this. Let's read the next time. Read uh, verse 17, same chapter. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So obviously, uh, this is the warning that God gives to Adam, and he tells him not to eat of this tree. And, um, you know, kind of a side note, people say this was the only command that Adam had. Well, that's not that technically true. You ever think about that? He also told him to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. Uh, yeah. Anyways, this different subject, different day. <laughs> These are different thoughts. We were talking a little bit before about how sometimes we say things that might not be 100% true because we heard them. But anyways, different different subject. Trying to not yeah, to We'll bring up some of those later. Yeah, amen, amen. <laughs> uh, so let's fast forward. We know that in Genesis chapter 3, um, the, Satan, the devil, tempts Eve. And read Genesis 3, 5, if you would. Genesis 3, 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof... 
Then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. All right, obviously those were the words of the serpent to Eve. And uh, obviously she was deceived, and she ate, and the Bible says the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one of us, to know mm. good and evil. All right, so just kind of fast forward in, and that's what happened. So we've learned some things about the knowledge of good and evil. So God warned them. God said there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God warns them not to eat. The devil tempts Eve. They do eat. God now says, and the Lord God said, behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Something happened. And of course, we know they get kicked out of the garden. We know that man is no longer innocent. We know now man is sinful. We know now man is ashamed for the first time because they're naked now. They realize they're naked. Hmm. And so you can learn some things. If you just study this phrase, the knowledge or of the knowledge of good or to know good and evil. So these are the things I want to consider. And I don't want to get bogged down in the Bible, so they just kind of a discussion. What we can learn about these things is accountability to God, salvation, imputed sin, imputed righteousness, and a whole bunch more by simply studying the phrase good and evil. Now, interesting enough, and I know you'll know this, but what we see is we learn something in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Uh, Brother Brian, you want to kind of just give the viewing audience, listening audience, what's going on here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, and I want you to read verses 38 and 39, and you can kind of expound a little bit to the audience of what's going on, uh, but then I want you to read verses 38 and 39. Yeah, Deuteronomy, second giving of the law is what the book means. Numbers is where almost all your 40 years of wandering happens as far as uh, chronologically, time-wise. And they're about to enter the land. It's kind of a second giving of the law, the last giving of the law. I don't think there's really any time that trans transpires in the book of Deuteronomy. So Moses is about to die. The book of Deuteronomy gives it to you. And they're about to enter the land. Joshua's going to lead them into the, in the land. So God, of course, waited 40 years. So all those... Rebels could die, and he, he's not going to let them out of the promised land. Right. Because they didn't believe except Joshua and Caleb. Right. So 138, right? Yep, and verse 38 and 39. So you got the kind of the background of the history. This is what's going on. And as he said, you remember the story of the 12 spies that went out uh, to spy out the promised land. Uh, they came back, and 10 of them, the Bible says, brought an evil report. And only two said, yep, we believe God. We can do it. Um, so this is now fast-forwarding, but we're going to learn a valuable truth here in regards to knowledge of good and evil. All right, so read verse 38 and 39. But Joshua, the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge mm. between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. And so again, we just learned some valuable truth here. So obviously Joshua and Caleb, as you mentioned, get to go in, but we also learn here that the little ones and the children are also gonna to get to go in, why? Because they had no knowledge between good and evil. Mm. So God is not going to impute unto them mm. the sin. God's not gonna hold them accountable for their sin. Because, again, the Bible didn't say they didn't know right and wrong. And that's very important. 
They didn't know between good and evil. And this comes the idea, and by the way, I believe it's a biblical idea of the what is known as the age of accountability. Right. Now, Brother Brian, I, I know you would agree with this. When we say the age of accountability, we don't believe it's a set age. No. It's not like you're turned five and you're accountable because you're five. I don't believe that's what the Bible's bearing witness here. What the Bible is bearing witness if a child or a little one doesn't know good and evil, then God is not going to hold them accountable. And so, again, there is no set age. I, I do like, though, if you study this matter out, and I already alluded to it, if you have children and you want to understand, are they you know, starting to understand good and evil? Again, I emphasize that. Not right and wrong, because you can teach a little child at a very young age don't stick this fork in the electrical plug. You can teach an animal, right? Right, right. right. And so what do they do? When that little kid goes over, gets their stick, you take your hand really gently and just kind of, you know. Not gently. No, not gently. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. You know, or touchy-feely generation. So <laughs> anyways. Um, and, you know, so that child will learn right and wrong. They will know, I better not do that. Like you mentioned, you raised a good point. You can teach an animal right and wrong. But now when that kid gets ready to stick that in there, they say, no, I better not do that because I remember I got slapped on the hand and that's not right. They still don't understand good and evil, right? So by this study, by this idea, what you see is that child is not going to be held accountable for his sin, Amen. for his sinful nature. And so I say that, obviously, in the garden, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they were naked, but they weren't ashamed, right? right. But when they ate of the fruit, and now know between good and evil, they were naked and what? Ashamed. Ashamed. Right. So again, I always say this little illustration. We all have, me and Brother Brian have children, and uh, I have, he has son, and I have children, three of them. And uh, so I know when my kids were little, certain age, three, four, five, even maybe, um, you know, you get ready, have guests over and people are at your house or in the bathroom and all of a sudden the door opens, they run around, start thinking, they're running through the house. Yeah. They're not ashamed of it. But there comes a day when mom and dad doesn't have to tell them anymore that that's wrong, that that's sinful, that that's shameful. And all of a sudden they're embarrassed by their nakedness. And that is the beginning of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I don't believe that means it's there automatically, but it's the awakening of that knowledge of good and evil. Now, what I'm going to do is uh, allude to this, and we probably won't get into the other part of this. I'll leave this off to next week. We'll, we'll see, though. So what this, what this does is, by understanding, studying out, the phrase knowledge of good and evil, we learn some things. We learn that God doesn't hold mankind accountable for their sin until they know good and evil. Now, Brother Brian, maybe for a few moments, because I know we agree on this, we agree probably 99% of things, so it's easy to say, is, is man born a sinner? Not a trick question. <laughs> yes. Yes. We have a sinful nature, right? As an Adam, all die. An Adam, all die. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered upon the world. Correct. But sin. And we have sinful blood, right? Passed down to us. So, obviously, I'll leave you to explain this, but turn to Romans chapter 7. So, explain to the listening audience, viewing audience, if, and obviously the answer has already been explained if they're following it, if a child is born a sinner, has sinful blood in his body, then 
How does God not hold them accountable? And if they die, will they go to heaven? Will they go to hell? So at any time, you can read the verses, Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 9, at the, when you're done reading, explaining okay. this or after. But just give us your take as a Bible believer to answer that question. A lot of people have a hard time answering about, well, what about the mentally handicapped? What about the baby that dies? What about the young toddler that dies? Are they going to go to hell because they never were saved? They're a sinner. They have sinful blood in their body. And by this study and by the verses that you read here in a minute and your explanation, we'll be able to answer that, I believe, don't Hopefully. you? Hopefully. Yeah. All right. So yes. you take over. You explain. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. Mm. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive mm. without the law once. Now, the law came by Moses, 1491. This is New Testament. Right. Paul's not 1,500-something years old. Right. So he's talking about some time when he didn't know what the law was. But when the commandment came, mm. there's your accountability. There's your light bulb going off. There's your shame of being naked. There's your fig leaves. When the commandment came, sin revived. Ooh, revived. Apparently, sin was there if it revived. That's right. Sin was there, but until he knew the law, it wasn't... Well, we'll get into it in a second. Sin revived and I died. Mm. So, so how does this work in regards to our conversation about studying out the knowledge of good and evil, studying out about how Adam and Eve were ashamed, studying about how the God allowed the little ones and the children to go into the promised land, and understanding salvation, understanding, like we said, the sinful nature, understanding we have the blood of Adam in us, we need to be redeemed. How this is a wonderful passage Tie this all together, all together, and explain to the audience how this applies then to babies, maybe the mentally handicapped, and all those out there who always have this question about tragically, my son, my baby died. Where are they? What would you tell them? I read you a verse for Romans five thirteen. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed. There you go. When there is no law. So every single person, a one-day-old baby, is a sinner. Right. Somebody with an IQ of 20 or 30 is a sinner. They're born a sinner. They have sin. They commit sins. But God does not charge that That's sin it. to their account. Amen. Imputation, a beautiful, wonderful word, one of the many wonderful words on salvation, justification, redemption, all those. Imputation is to put on an account of mm -hmm. someone else. So when you get born again, when you get saved, God takes all my sins, yes, puts them on Jesus Christ, and takes Jesus Christ's righteousness and puts them on my account. He imputes them to me. Yes, so amen. though I sin all the time, I'm sure I sin today, though I'm going to keep sinning if the Lord tarries and I don't die, God doesn't see my sins as far as salvation goes. There you go. Because they're imputed. Now the baby, because there's no knowledge of good and evil, they don't understand the law. They don't understand what sin is as far as in their relation to a holy, perfect God that they've sinned against God. They don't understand that. There's no knowledge of the law. Thou shall not kill. Thou shall not steal. Right. Thou shall not uh, spit up your food on the ground or yeah. go to whatever the thing is. God doesn't charge that sin to them. Even though they're a sinner, That's it. God doesn't charge. And David even said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So just like we're in a position, anybody who's saved on earth, where though you sin, God doesn't charge it to your account. That's good. It's as if you've never sinned. 
and that's just that's the baby or somebody who doesn't understand doesn't have a knowledge of good and right. evil paul said i was alive without the law but when the commandment came thou shalt not thou shalt that's and you right. understand how it relates to a holy god and you're going to face him in judgment until that comes you're sinless Amen. the sins aren't charged to you that's right and they they're saved. They're not saved. They're innocent. Sure. You might say would be, yeah, would be no, a good absolutely. word. And, and what a wonderful, wonderful truth we want to leave you with because a lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people don't don't understand that. But so again, Brother Brian, you did a fabulous job explaining that. So yes, they are born a sinner. Yes, they are born with in Adam and in Adam all die. But because we serve a loving and gracious and merciful God, their sins are not imputed unto them. Amen. Their sins are... It has to be revived. Of course, that's connected with the law. When that knowledge of good and evil comes, then what? Sin revives and they die. What dies in them that day when that knowledge of good and evil comes is their spirit dies. And now they need to be saved. Now they need to be born again. And so we're going to pick up with this very idea because this leads into a fantastic study that we'll start with next week. Because that wording there is so amazing in Romans chapter 7, verse 9. For I was alive without the law once. And we're going to talk more about that next week in the Word of the King podcast. So until next time, share, like this video, pass the word on. We're thankful that you're watching, listening, however you're getting the, the Word of the King podcast. But until next time, we pray that you would study the Word of God that you would love the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I often say, do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, amen, amen and God bless. The key to understand the word of God is for the author to show you what the thing says. If you understand that book, you get for the author. Then he opened their understanding.